And so now I would love for you um, to just stand for a moment and welcome um, my favorite person in the whole entire world <laughs> to the platform to deliver a message today from the Lord. Welcome, Pastor Steve. Thank you. That was actually a joke. I said, you can introduce me, and uh, that was, uh, my dad shared a story uh, of a, a pastor uh, down in Louisiana, I believe is where he was, and uh, someone actually carried his Bible for him to the, uh, to the platform, and I thought, huh. And then uh, I thought, you know who'd be a good person? Becky Baker would be perfect for that. She'd just carry my Bible around, and she, uh, she declined the offer very, very quickly. She's like, Any, I'll even do children's ministry aside from that. So, so that's what we did. We put her in children's ministry. Praise the Lord. Well, the last several uh, weeks have been super important, I, I believe, to the life of Mill City Church, whether you recognize it or not. When this past uh, Monday, I was having lunch with a friend of mine who actually does the, the radio spot writing for me, and uh, we meet uh, once a quarter or every couple of uh, months, and he has me just go through where I have been teaching and where I'm headed to so that he can write um, uh, timely uh, spots for me, and I was describing the last several weeks, and um, he's like, wow, those are tough topics, and I'm like, yeah, they, they are, and I started going through, putting them all together, and I mean, thought, man, I feel like I've been running through the gauntlet here uh, the last several weeks. I mean, if you think about it, we had church discipline, and then we went into prayer, for our leaders and those in authority, and then took on some tough topics, uh, hot topics, if you will, uh, timely um, cultural things. Then I took on the men and uh, how God is uh, expecting us to live as men. And then I took on the women, and uh, that was a very, actually, that was the most difficult message I've ever preached in my life. And I, I say that in, in all seriousness, there was a spiritual um, undercurrent here that day. It was um, super uh, strong. And um, I would call it confirmation that it needed to be preached. Um, then last week, personal behavior for church leaders specifically talked about alcohol, talked about marital issues, talked about parenting. These are tough topics, and we need to hear them. More importantly, we need to hear what God's Word has to say about these things. And uh, I bet you left here thinking every week, you know, I wish I had Pastor Steve's job. <laughs> and I think sometimes I wish you had my job. Let me remind you of what this book, 1 Timothy, is all about. It'll help us to wrap up chapter 3. He says, although I hope to come to you soon, I am writing you these the instructions so that if I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household. You could probably, we could spend that in this way. 
Um, because the writer of, of Scripture is the Holy Spirit. And we're here on this earth. And it's as if the Holy Spirit is saying, I'm coming back, and I'm, I'm coming back soon. But in the meantime, let me tell you how you need to be living as part of my family. What is his family? It's the church of the living God. It's the pillar and foundation of the truth. Beyond all question, the mystery from which true godliness springs is great. Where does it come from? He, that's Jesus, appeared in the flesh. He was vindicated by the Spirit, was sent by, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world and taken up into glory. That's the church of the living God, Jesus Christ. That's who we are. If you're a believer in Jesus, if you are saved and part of God's household, this book, very timely for us today in 2022, um, this is God's instruction to us. We've talked about everyone in the church in the last few weeks, except me. And so today, I get to read you my instructions so that you can help keep me accountable. Now, perhaps you left here from time to time, maybe just every week for the last few weeks, thinking, good grief, Steve, did you have to say that? Or, wow, that was a bit much. That was a little over the top, wasn't it? You know, I don't know why you had to land there. And those aren't wrong questions. They're logical thoughts. So as if anticipating those questions, Paul, through the instrumentality of the Holy Spirit, gives us an answer Let's look at it. Verse 1, chapter 4. The Spirit clearly says that in latter times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. For everything God created is good. Nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving because it is consecrated by the word of God in prayer. So before Paul gives Timothy the charge or his instructions, he starts with the problem. He, he lays down a foundation for the why um, before he gets to the what, if you will. This isn't new. In fact, it's interlaced throughout the entire letter. The problem is, um, simply put, people who abandon the faith. Now, he talks about false teaching and false religion. For example, in chapter 1, uh, he commands certain people not to teach false doctrines. But to, uh, and those who devote themselves to myths or endless genealogies. He says some have, have departed the things of God and have turned to meaningless talk. In verse 19, again, he says some have rejected faith and good conscience and have so shipwrecked their faith. He calls out two people. We find this again in chapter 4, which we'll get to in a minute. Then in chapter 6, he talks about people who have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words. 
The final statement is very, very clear. I mean, this is the last two verses of the, of the book. Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. Turn away from godless chatter and opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed in and doing so have departed from the faith. So, so Paul is, is very, very clear the risk to the body of Christ, to the family of God, of falling away. And it's not a new problem. It's a very real problem, but you could track it all the way back to the beginning of humanity as Adam and Eve are pulled away from perfection. But look at it again, chapter 4, verse 1, the Spirit. It's important to understand that the Spirit of God, the the Holy Spirit himself is the writer of this. In 2 Timothy, he says, all scripture is God-breathed. Peter says, prophecy never had its origin in human will, but prophets, although they were human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Scripture. It's, you have to understand, when you read God's word, you are reading God's word. You're not reading man's word. And you need to be very careful what you add to God's word from a commentary point of view. Um, the Spirit clearly says. Notice it. That, that alone should get our attention. The Spirit clearly says in latter times. What are the latter times? These are the latter times. In fact, in, throughout the New Testament, for example, 1 John chapter 2, John says, this is the last hour. It is the last hour. He's talking about the time he's living in. Peter says these last times. In Hebrews, the last days, Hebrews chapter 1, Hebrews chapter 9, the, uh, that he has appeared, that's Jesus, at the end of the age. Well, that was 2,000 years ago. So what are we talking about here? The latter times, talking about these times right now. It started when Jesus came. It continues to today. It will continue until he comes back again, and he is coming back again. So all of these verses tell us that the last times are now. Paul is saying through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that in latter times, now, some will abandon the faith. Now, it doesn't say all. That's super important also to understand. But some will. And what will they abandon to? They will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Do I have your attention? <clears throat> the danger... The danger here is walking away. And I believe specifically he's talking about danger within the church. Because it's a letter to a pastor, it's a letter to the church. It's interlaced throughout the letter. There are people that are there in the faith already. So if they're going to abandon the faith, then it's something within the, 
within the family that's going to cause them to abandon the faith. Now, I, he talks specifically about, like I say, false religion, false teaching. I don't know of any, any of that going on inside this church. If it's you, would you raise your hand, please, so that, I can, so that we can all point out to you and say, stay away from that person. Um, so let's talk about it in, in as we have been, um, relevance here. Well, I'll give you two things, religion and the world. These are things that we must be mindful of that will cause us to abandon the faith. So let's talk about religion first. Notice he says such teachings. We have to be very, very careful in our walk with the Lord to know, listen to this, what's in the Bible and what's not. Because there's a lot of things that are taught as Christians or in Christian circles that are not in the Bible. And you are responsible for your faith. We'll get to my job in a few minutes. <laughs> Jesus fought against this. We looked at it in detail, um, oh, way, way back when little Michael was a wee little lad in the first year of our church. In the book of Mark, Jesus is fighting the Pharisees and teachers of the law, not on the law necessarily, but on what they refer to as the traditions of the elders. In Mark chapter 7, they, they, they approach him and say, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders? What is that? Well, he's talking about ceremonial washings, and they wash their hands in this way and that way, and they don't do these things, and they don't do... And I heard one commentator, commentator describe it as this. It was, it was a fence around the law. So if you couldn't get into the, through the fence, then you could never break the law. So we're going to create new laws to protect you from breaking the law. That's what that is. Here in Timothy, he gives two specific things. They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods. These are extra-biblical constraints or requirements. Uh, maybe they're requirements that earn position with God. In Galatians, he talks about circumcision, for example. We looked at that a couple of years ago. In the book of Acts, and also in Galatians, uh, Paul points out that Peter acts this way among the Jews, and he follows these rules, and then he's free to do these things around the Gentiles, and Paul calls him out on it. We have the same thing here today. Dare I say, tiptoe into a, a danger zone. You love it when I do that. Priests aren't allowed to marry. Chapter and verse, please. I seem to remember it's better to marry than to burn. <laughs> that seems to make sense to me. I'd rather marry and not burn. Uh, praise the Lord for my wife. <laughs> How about fish Friday? Can't eat meat on Friday. Where's that? Lots of, com lots of restaurants making a lot of money on Friday because they go to fish fry because they can't eat. What is that? I don't even understand that. That's extra biblical stuff. Okay. 
These are rules. Well, as long as I keep these rules, then I'm good. It doesn't matter what my life is like on Saturday through Thursday as long as I, eat, as long as I just eat fish on Friday. What in the world is that all about? <laughs> That's my point. L- Lent. Ash Wednesday. I don't know if I've, you've probably heard this story. I have a client who's, uh, who's a, a former teacher in the Catholic school and. Um, she came in late in the afternoon, and um, she was sitting there talking at the beginning of the meeting, and, and I notice she's got this smear on her forehead. And I'm like, you know, she's going to get in her car. She's going to look in the mirror and be like, ah, oh, because that's what I would do. I got this thing on my white. So I'm talking, and I reach behind me on the ledge on my credenza. There's a box of Kleenex. And so I grab a Kleenex in mid-conversation, and I say, you have something on your forehead. And she says, you're not Catholic, are you? To which I said, no. And she says, it's Ash Wednesday. I'm like, okay. You still have something on your forehead. Now, I'm making fun of me more than her with that. My point is this. That's not in the Bible. And we have to be really careful that we don't add anything to the Bible. Baptism for salvation, christening, those things are not in the Bible. My responsibility is to teach you what is in God's word, not what's not in it. But listen, it's an area where the devil has gotten in since the beginning of humanity. He gets people confused. He gets you channeled in on the wrong thing. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 says Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. So is it surprising that his servants also do the same thing? Now look again at verse at uh, chapter 4, p- take verses 3 and 5, put them together. They forbid people to marry in order and order them to abstain from certain few, foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. For everything God created is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, because it is consecrated by the word of God and prayer. Now, you might read that and say, well, Steve, you sure took a hard line on alcohol, didn't you? Yes, I did. And this is one of those scriptures that is used to justify someone's opposing position than mine. Well, God created the grapes, and so we should receive that with thanksgiving, shouldn't we? I mean, is it wrong to have a glass of wine? Is it wrong to have beer? Does that make me... Okay, first of all, let me just address that because I'm sure some of you left wondering about that last week. In the text, and we teach verse by verse here, okay? The text clearly, specifically said alcohol. It did. You can't argue that. We teach verse by verse here, and so we take them as they come. That keeps us safe. It keeps us in context. The Bible does specifically condemn drunkenness. I didn't even bring that up last week. That's different for different people, though. I did speak to that. You cannot deny, though, the excessiveness of the way alcohol is abused in our culture. Nor can you argue 
that the lifestyle that is promoted by the alcohol industry has no line with Christianity. Zero. Most importantly, though, is the need to be considerate of others who do have a weakness in this area. And I would venture to say with nothing statistically to back me up that a lot of the Christians who want to argue this point do in fact have a problem. Common sense would tell you that. But Paul speaks to this specifically in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, and I just want to take, take an exit here. I'll get back on the highway in just a moment. So then, he says, about eating food sacrificed to idols, we know that an idol is nothing at all in the world. There is no God but one. What he's saying is, he's talking about people who have been converted. Uh, we don't sacrifice, as far as I know, we don't sacrifice our food to idols here in our culture, but the context is cultural issues. So you've got somebody who's a new convert who's coming out of that lifestyle, and, and they haven't grown up in their salvation. They don't, they don't understand. They just know they've been delivered from that. And we know that that doesn't mean anything. They don't. Verse 7, not everybody possesses this knowledge. Some people are so accustomed to idols that when they eat sacrificial food, they think of it as, as, as having been sacrificed to a god. It says their conscience is weak. It, it means that just they haven't matured to that knowledge. Let's put it in those words. Verse 9 says, be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone with a weak conscience seats you with all your knowledge, eating an, at an idol's temple, won't that person be emboldened to do the same thing? So this weak brother or sister, that is not a negative connotation. Let you, we're just talking about somebody who's new to the faith. Okay. When the, who for whom Christ died? Let's let's make sure we understand that. Your fellow brother or sister who is now a believer, all Christ died for them. You do realize that, right? You do know how important that is, right? So when you sin against them and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Let's make sure we all get that clear. So the issue here is rights and causing another to stumble. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, we looked at last week, Paul specifically talking about church leaders. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, he's talking to the entire church. So the case can be made for all Christians to consider how you represent Christ every day of your life. I'm just saying. When you become a believer in Jesus Christ, by the way, your life is not your own. So the truth is you've surrendered your rights anyway. So if you're fighting for rights, then you really don't have a platform to stand on. 
Let's get back on the highway. Thank you. What we're talking about today is people abandoning their faith and following deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. That really is where all of this comes from. Anything that is anti-God is demonic. We don't run around here calling everything a demon and, you know, hiding behind every corner and pouncing. We don't do that here, but the truth is everything's spiritual. Jesus says there's only two teams. You're either on this team or you're not. You're either following God. You're either a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ or you're not. There is no in-between. There is no gray. One of the risks is religion. You can be so consumed by rules that you can be blinded into thinking that if you just keep the rules, everything's fine. God's concerned about your heart. If your heart's not right before him, you are at risk, brother and sister, beloved. You are at risk of abandoning the faith. There's another risk, the world. Peter says this, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He's not a roaring lion. He's like a roaring lion. He's intimidating. He's conniving. He's smart. He's calculated. But he can't devour everybody. Some he does. And so you have to stand firm. Look at it. It says, stand firm in the faith. Resist him. How? By standing firm in the faith. And recognize you are not alone. Sometimes on Wednesday nights, I'll ask somebody going through a battle, two-thirds of of the congregation, and here stands up. Why? Because we all are. No sin has overtaken you except what is common to man, Paul says in Romans. No sin has overtaken you except what is common to man. It's either just a regular sin that everybody deals with. That's one way to look at it. Or lest you think, no, 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 mine is like Goliath's size. It's just, oh, it's that big. I just can't. No, no, that's not true. There's no sin that has overtaken you except what is common to man. It's man-sized. It's not Goliath-sized. And there are people all over this congregation that struggle with the same thing you do. And one of the greatest lies the devil tells is that you can do this thing just with you and Jesus. You cannot do it with just you and Jesus. You need the body of believers to walk this life out with you. That's what this letter is for. Jesus describes the risk, I believe, that we're looking at here in the parable of the soils. He says the farmer sows the word He's just walking around throwing soil, throwing seed. It's the word of God. 
It lands in different places. There are six soils that are described here. There's the path that's hard, and the seed doesn't penetrate it. can't get in. And so the devil comes and just takes it away. Doesn't even land. Doesn't even get penetrated. There's the other. It's the rocky soil. It's right on the side of the path. It's not good soil because it's not only soil. It's, it's dirt and rocks. And while the, the seed does penetrate the soil, it can't get very deep because it's not rich. It's not, it's not truly all dirt. And there are things that get in the way that keep the root from getting deep and, and engaging. It says, when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. There are others. They're just a little bit further off the path. But it's not fully, it's not empty. Think about that as you're, as you, as you're driving out in the country and you see the, the road that, the, that the, the, the tractors drive on and it's packed down and then you've got this and then you've got like the ditch area off the side of the road that's got just a bunch of junk in it. The seed can get there and it's all dirt but it's not alone. It's got other things that are robbing the nutrients. It can grow, but look here. It doesn't produce fruit. Worries of life, deceitfulness of wealth, desires for other things come and choke it. It doesn't die. It just doesn't produce any fruit. And then there's three other soils. You might look at this and say, well, that's four. No, it's, it's six. Because some produce fruit that's 30 times what's sown. Some produce fruit that's 60 times what's sown. And some produce fruit that's 100 times what's sown. What's the soil of your heart like? What kind of fruit are you producing? Now, I'm not sure how to read this when it comes to the, the second and third. Here's my perspective on it. Because the second receives the word with joy. And this is awesome. My sins are forgiven. I, I'm, I'm free. I am forgiven. I'm, I'm like, awesome. I'm going to get baptized and I'm going I'm to start, I'm going to start getting involved and I'm, I'm going to grow in my, I'm going to start growing up. But you never got the rocks out. And I've only been doing this for seven years. I've been in the church my whole life, and I can tell you this. Lots of people I've seen do that. And at some point, those things that they have replaced and started filling that are godly and, and help them to grow, something happens where they let something back in. And they let something else back in. A lot of times it's relationships. That's probably the number one thing. I thought you were my friend. Oh, you think you're too good now? Hey, remember what back when we used to? Oh, come on, you can. And they let something back in. And they let something back in. Or, you know, I've always wanted that place up north. I've always wanted that boat. I've always wanted that whatever. Things get tough. I mean, I got to work overtime. I got to pay for that thing now. 
I got to do this. And now all of a sudden, that place where God filled, where they were growing and their life was changing, gets smaller and smaller and smaller until all of a sudden it's not there. They're at risk of abandoning their faith. And then you see them a year, two years, three years down the road, and what had gone on in their life is no, nowhere to be found. Then other people, hey, I'm, you know, I'm still here. Oh, can't do that. No, I got to do this. Well, my kid's got nobody's favorite soccer. Well, no, I got my, you think I got that? Blah, blah. And so they're here. Once a month, twice a month, I don't know. Wednesday night, are you kidding me? Only got an hour. Uh, and you asked for an hour and a half, sometimes an hour and 40. <laughs> don't you know? Packers, they're in Germany. Who cares? No fruit. Not dead. There's no fruit. Not dead. No evidence. And then there's others. I don't know about you. I want my life to yield a hundred times. I want my life to yield a hundred times. And that's, that's between me and the Lord. Whatever his assignment is for me, that's what I want to do with all my heart. You find Jesus, you make a decision to put your faith in him and you trust him for salvation, but you're still here on this earth. So what? Well, you're called to be his ambassador, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. You have works that have been prepared in advance for you to do, Ephesians chapter 2. Right? Paul says in Colossians chapter 3 that we have this earthly nature that we're supposed to take off. To put it to death. And that earthly nature is why we need salvation. And, and praise God, we don't have to get rid of it before we're saved. That's why we need salvation. And, and God takes that from us, but leaves us here. And so Peter says, you need to grow up in your salvation. Keep taking it off and keep taking it off and keep taking it off. And I'm telling you, as you grow up in your salvation, it will protect you from falling away or abandoning your faith. That is what I am charged with, to help you to grow up in your salvation. How? Well, let's read it, verse 6. If you point these things out to the brothers and sisters, you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus, nourished on the truths of the faith, and of good teaching that you have followed. Have nothing to do with godless myths or old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. 
This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. That's why we labor and strive because we have put our hope in the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially those who believe. Command these and teach these things. Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and teaching. Do not neglect your gift, which was given you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and your doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. <clears throat> when I started teaching, God's word just became alive to me in a way where lots of times I read it and I just see points. They just jump off the page. And um, this is one of those areas. There's actually 12 commands in here that are for me. And it's next up on the wheel, so I'm asking for your help to help keep me where I'm supposed to be going, doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Perhaps you've found life here. Um, perhaps the Lord will take you somewhere else. This is another opportunity for you because this is God's command to the pastor. First, warn people of error. Warn people. This is where things get off track. This is what doesn't align with God's word. This is where God, what God's word says to do. This is what it does not tell us to do. That, to warn people, if you point these things out to the brothers and sisters, you'll be a good minister of Christ Jesus. Be a student of Scripture. Nourished, he says, on the truths of the faith and of good teaching that you have followed. You know, I have a, a full-time job. <clears throat> and I've been doing this for 26 years. I'm a financial planner. I'm really good at it, even if I do say so myself. <laughs> but it's mainly because I've been doing it for a long time. And I haven't, there isn't a whole lot I haven't seen. And, and God has given me, uh, uh, he's shown favor on my life. I don't have time. I mean, some, some of the things I, I said earlier about um, Lent and, and Ash Wednesday, I, mean, I, I don't know the f minuscule about other religions. Let me just tell you this. I don't have time to learn them. I got to be a husband. I got to be a father. I got to be a financial planner. I got to be a pastor. There is just not time for me to try to study what Catholics believe and Lutherans believe and Mormons believe. And, and, and oh, by the way, it's of no value. Why would I want to get other things in my mind when I really just need to be a student of God's word? That's going to be the most valuable thing to you. Avoid 
unholy teaching, really aligned in the same thing. I had a guy that, that uh, told me one time he was, he was leaving to go to a different, um, a different denomination. And he didn't ask me, he didn't give me any, you know, he wasn't asking me to, to um, give him any counsel or advice. And so I didn't give him any. He's not asking for it and he's not going to accept it if I give it to him anyway. It'd be a waste of my time. But everything he used to justify what he, he was saying, the, the direction he was going, none of it came from God's word. Every single reference came from a book written by a man. And, and I'm just telling you, that's godless myths and old wives' tales. And that, too, is of no value. Grow in godliness. He says, rather, train yourself to be godly. Find out what God's will is. Paul says, and do that, right? Grow up like newborn babies, crave pure what? Spiritual milk so that you can grow up in your salvation. It doesn't say get all these commentaries. It doesn't say find a Christian book. I read an article yesterday about um, uh, Christian bookstores. The, most people, these are exit polls, most people going in to buy a Bible today leave without buying one, but they do buy a Christian book. Train yourself to be godly, he says. Physical training is of some value. That's not wrong. I still carry the COVID-19. I got to get it off. Pray for me. But godliness has value for everything. This life and the life to come. Here's one. Work hard. Who's been to Disney World or Disneyland? or Disney Cruise, most everybody's been, okay? All right. <clears throat> do you realize everything they do is about the experience? I mean, you walk in there. We went on a Disney Cruise one time with my, with my parents, the, my dad's retirement, and we walked into the cabin, and they had made this this swan out of the towel sitting on the, I mean, everyone's like, wow, I mean, the stuff, and they know your name, and they, the, 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 the dining, everything they do, whether you go to Disney World or Disneyland or the Disney, everything, listen, practically zero of that corporate culture aligns with God's word. Why is it that we get a pass at, at, at a church, the church of the living God, that we do things halfway here? Why? Because you're a volunteer? Can you imagine if I showed up on Sunday and said, well, you know, there's a Packer game on, and there's an Alabama game on and yesterday, and I just didn't have time to prepare anything. So, you know, Eric, let's just sing today. Can you imagine if I did that? Can you, uh, <coughs> I just don't really feel good, and so, you know, I'm just going to show up to church today. Can you imagine if I did that? So who says you can? I'm going to come to church. I don't really feel like going to church. My kid's not. No, listen, let me tell you something. We serve the church of the living God, and we have eternity in, in the balance for some people. And if we're not bringing our A game, 
then there's some people who may not spend eternity in heaven, but they will spend eternity somewhere. And let me tell you something, that scares me to death. How about this one? Teach with authority. I promise you, I'm committed to being here as long as it takes. I'll be here early, I'll be here late. But when it comes to God's word, I'm gonna tell you what it says and I'm gonna tell you black and white exactly what it says because this is the authoritative word of God. This is the authority in our life. It is to be the sole source of truth in our life. Nothing else can penetrate that. Nothing in the world can penetrate that, those walls. It is my job to model a life that aligns with God's word. Spiritual virtues, let's call them. Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. Hey, listen, I didn't go to Bible school. I'll tell you one thing. There's a lot of people on TV that all got all kinds of degrees that some of the people in this church could run circles around because they're so puffed up with knowledge, but it never penetrated their heart. No, I need to be an example for the believers in what I say, what I do, how I love people in my faith in God and the purity of my life. Do as I say, not as I do, doesn't work anywhere. And it sure doesn't work up here. Teach the Bible. Well, there's a... Huh. We're not a topical church here. Praise God. Somebody said to me, well, you know, Jesus teaches top topically, taught. I said, well, that may be good for Jesus, but you're not Jesus, and neither am I. The Bible's written very well. Why don't we just read it? That didn't go over very well with that pastor. <laughs> he was probably looking down on me because I didn't have that Bible school degree. <laughs> Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and teaching. That's my job. Use spiritual gifts. My dominant gift is teaching. Is um, I, I have a, a God-given wisdom. I think that's what help, helps me in my vocation a lot. I can see things for where they are. Um, I've been given authority in people's lives to use that insight to help them. Um, that's, that's my job. What's yours? And wh wh where are you fitting in in God's house? Well, what is your, well, let's start with this. What's your gift? Week after week, I see one or two people back in the back of the sanctuary helping people to find a seat. And I see a ton of people sitting in their seats. 
I see two people out at that door before service every week. Outside, where they're supposed to be. Thank you, Mark and Tina. I see one person over here. Thank you, Sarah. I see a lot of people walking around talking, which is awesome. But I think we have a volunteer schedule for Welcome Home that has at least four people, both services, supposed to be back here, at least four outside, some people here, a couple of people out there, people out on the parking lots. Thank you, Jason. I'm just wondering. I mean, that's an easy one. And there ought to be, there's all shapes and sizes in here. So there ought to be all shapes and sizes out there, all ages, all, all gender, both genders, pardon me. <laughs> the one God gave you before time began. If you're not serving somewhere, shame on you. Pardon me, Bruce. I'm going to throw some shame out here because you need it. Come on. This is God's household. Help me. Help them. Help me. Help them. Help me. Help them. Please, if you're not signed up somewhere, do it today. Please. And it's not because of anything other than eternity hanging in the balance for somebody who God has called you to serve. How about this one? I'm really working hard on being passionate in ministry. <laughs> but I'm doing my best. I'm doing my best. And it is my job also, the worship team can come to grow spiritually. My pastor in Springfield says I reserve the right to get smarter. Um, you know, God deals with us where we are, praise God. But we're not supposed to stay where we are. And as we mature in our faith, as we grow up in our salvation, God will give us deeper and deeper insight. And I think that's one of the reasons uh, in chapter 3, he says, don't elevate people too quickly. Don't use new believers. Why? They don't know everything. There's, there's, a, there's a, a growth spiritually, maturity-wise, that they need. One of the, the first books I wrote when I, or read when I started uh, in the ministry was called um, Dangerous Calling. And one of my, my good friends who's a pastor directed me to that in 2013. And he talked about uh, one of the main theses in the, in the uh, book was uh, decades ago, there was a shift where pastors would be in the ministry for a period of time and then they would, they would get to almost like a plateau in their, in their knowledge and theology and then they would go to, to get their, their Bible degree or their master's degree. And then they would come back and be uh, that much more. But they had real life experience. They had real ministry experience. And, and at some point, and it certainly was going on when I was uh, growing up, but there was a point, you know, I feel called into ministry. And then in, from high school, they go to Bible school. And from Bible school, they go to divinity school. And then at 24, 25 years old, they become a pastor. And they're armed with a lot of knowledge. 
way more knowledge than the congregation. And the danger is twofold because that can be weaponized. It's dangerous for you because, hey, I'm, at least I'm 50. I've learned the 24-hour rule not to react to people immediately. I give it 24 hours and the benefit of the doubt. But when I was 25 years old, I was ready to fight. I'm not ready to fight anymore. I'm tired. I'm patient. It's dangerous for the person up here, though, too, because they're in power. And in a church, there's a there is a power that comes with that knowledge. And I believe one of, the, one of the blessings that God has given uh, to me is to have not started until I was 45 years old. And I had some real life experience behind my back that helped me to to do a better job. But I don't know everything. If I give you the benefit of the doubt and you, you know, give it to me as well, I want to grow. I need to grow. Watch your life and doctrine closely, he says, and then finally, persevere. Persevere in the ministry. We've had the privilege, the privilege of seeing lives changed in the last seven years. About five years ago, just over five years ago, we had a group of people that left the church in a very, very hard way. And, and, and at my count, it was about 80 people walked out the door in three weeks. Some of you were here and you remember that. And I'm going to tell you something, that was hard. It was hard. And I was responsible for some of that, not all of it. I owned what I could own. We never talked about it publicly because it wasn't anybody's business. Let me ask you this. If you've been at Mill City Church since October of 2017, not before, but since, you just raise your hand. So in the last five years, you've been, you're new to the church in the last five years. Okay. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if I'd have thrown in the towel? I can't imagine. Because I see your hands, I see your faces, man. I know what God's doing in your life. And I tell people that want to get into ministry, that especially pastoral ministry, and I say, man, you better know. And you better be able to point to times when God has spoken. 
Because there's going to be times when you need to go back to that and say, no, 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 no. God met me there. And God confirmed it right here. And God did this here. And he did this here. And I know he wasn't wrong there, 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 there. And he's not wrong here. And so I'm going to press on. I'm going to keep doing what he's called me to do. I'm going to do it with passion. I'm going to do it with authority. I'm going to work as hard as I can. I'm going to do everything that I can do within my power and his to do what he's called me to do. I am going to persevere. And you need that. You're not called to do what I'm called to do. But you need me to know I am. You need to be confident that, hey, I'm not perfect, but boy, I'm doing everything I can to do what I'm called to do. There's a grace, I mentioned it last week, on us because we are not perfect. We are human. I will make mistakes. And there's a grace that's extended to church leaders, and I'm super thankful for it because I need it. These are the things that, that, oh, keep me awake at night. Jesus said this, enter through the narrow gate because wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many go that way. But small is the gate. Narrow is the road that leads to life. And only a few take that. My job is to help you, to keep you going in that road. Your job is to help each other. We're in this thing together, man. This is God's household. All of us got to be pulling our part. My prayer is that we could stretch that few into more. Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word, for your charge, for your blessing, for your anointing, for your appointment. I thank you, God for the results, for salvation, for life change. And may we recognize this and, and take it seriously. Thank you for this book that has been a challenge for all of us, it's challenged us in many, in ways I never thought, I had no idea it would, but you've done it because your word is alive, it is active, and it is sharper than any double-edged sword. It does cut right to the core. It separates us from the world, and you're calling us to a higher standard. You're calling us to life. 
heads bowed and eyes closed, just an opportunity here we have set before us. In the Old Testament, the Bible says, I stand before you and I set before you life and death, blessing and curses. I said earlier, there's two teams. There's only two teams. You're either part of this one or by default, you're part of that one. And that is not God's plan. God's will is that all would come to salvation. He died for everyone. to give new life. And what I've been talking about today is, is what Jesus says to Nicodemus in chapter three of, of John. He says, unless you're born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. And that is, that is exactly a, the perfect word picture because when you give your life to Christ, when you give you, your life to Jesus, surrender your life, your eyes open, your spiritual eyes are open, your spiritual ears are open, your heart becomes an open place for God to come in and it is truly like you have been born all over again. And spiritually, you have been given new life. That's what I'm talking about today. And if that's you, you've never done that. You've never given your heart to Christ. Or maybe you have in the past, and, and right now as I've been talking about these components, you look at your life and you're like, boy, I, I know I was then, but right now I just, I'd like to be back where I was. I'm not saying you're not saved. I'm not saying you are. But I am saying this. The Holy Spirit is speaking to you. And you need to acknowledge that. And I'd like to pray for you if there's somebody here that you need to make that decision. You need to either recommit or re-confess your sins, accept his forgiveness. You've never given your heart to Jesus. You need to do that today. I'd like to pray for you. Can you just raise your hand today? Is anybody here today? Anybody else? Well, God, we just uh, we commit ourselves to you today. Thank you for forgiveness, for a door that is readily available for us to take, to confess, and to receive forgiveness. Lord, may we accept your challenge today. Protect us, God. Protect our hearts. In Jesus' name. Let's stand together and close.